RadioInfluence.com. Welcome into a new episode of the MA Report Podcast. I am Jason Floyd. That is Daniel Galvans. We're here to break down everything going on in the world of mixed martial arts. Daniel, how you doing, bro? Man, I'm doing okay. I, I'm doing okay. I have beaten COVID, but I am also an idiot because uh, now I'm dealing with an eye infection that I gave myself because what happened was, you know, last time I wore my contacts, was before I tested positive for COVID, but I probably did in fact have the virus at that point. Anyways, I decided to put on my contacts the other day after I've beaten COVID. I put them on. Your boy wakes up at five in the morning crying out of his eye. It's red and infected. So I gave myself an infection uh, one day after I beat COVID and I have an infection in my eye. About 25 minutes in this podcast, I'll be putting some eye drops in. I got to put them in every hour. But that's how I'm doing. A little PSA to the listeners. If you get COVID, throw away whatever contacts you had at the time. Granted, that was probably something the listeners already knew. I'm just a knucklehead. Bro, I I, I went to the eye doctor last week. It had been a couple years since I had an eye exam. And, uh, man, they put those, those, those eye drops in. I just hate that. And then, like, bro, like, the last two times I've gone to the eye doctor, done the eye drops, man, it has just, like, blurred my vision. And, you know, thank God I got the sunglasses in the car because, man, it just absolute craziness. But, uh, but yeah, man, it's uh, everything's good on my end. Uh, going to CFFC on Thursday night here in Tampa. So this will be the first time I've gone to a live MMA event probably since 2019. So is, it gonna, is that going to be on Fight Pass? Yeah, that'll be on Fight Pass, yeah. Okay, I, I subscribed to Fight Pass this past weekend uh, when I had COVID because I was like, I, I have nothing else to do. I'm going to subscribe to Fight Pass. So I'll, I'll probably try and watch at least the main event. I think that's going to be my strategy as we do these podcasts. I'm going to watch the main events of these regional shows and, and get a little feel for it. So Jason, I mean, this past weekend I saw a guy – uh, who my, who came here from Iran, winning a main event. He came here because he was at a protest, and he got arrested, and he was an amazing wrestler, and he came here, and now he's fighting, and he just dominated some dude in the main event. So he's a great wrestler. I forgot his name. I believe his first name was Naveed. We'll know his name at some point. But what's going on at CFC that you're looking forward to? I'm just looking forward to going to see live fights. Yeah, they've got two title fights. It's it's a pro and amateur car. They've got two amateur fights. So one of them is, is an amateur welterweight title fight. I spoke to Lloyd McKinney, who's going to be fighting for the interim flyweight title. He is clearly the B side of the fight. And um, I think Lloyd knows it. He, he understands that you know, you're taking on Santo, who has been on the contender series. It's actually Santo's first fight. Uh, since uh, his contender series fight there against Gleison Rodriguez. And uh, I mean, I'm just like, I was telling that we were talking about it during the interview where I said, obviously you're going to watch the fights, but part of the entertainment for me is the entertainment of the crowd because we've all been events where people start saying crazy stuff. So uh, my business partner, Jerry is going with me. So he's not really a big MMA fan at all. So like, I'm really interested to kind of get his perspective on what he's watching because look, the likelihood is there will probably be someone in the crowd that might say something that a fighter's not going to do, like kick him in the balls, you know, or, or I mean, you've, we've all been to these events where just fans say crazy stuff. It's like, that's part of the entertainment value for me. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be fun. I guarantee you'll be fun. It's going to be a nice little, 
uh, refresher of what it's like to go back to a, a, a mixed martial arts show that's not like at the UFC level. You were going to see some great fighters. Uh, it should be good, my man. It should be good. You know, have some have some daddy sodas. Hopefully, the beverages and the and the and the snacks aren't too expensive at a show like CFFC versus maybe your UFC event. But as long as you have some daddy sodas. I think you're going to enjoy the ambiance of the crowd and the fights. Let's just say, as I, I tweeted about this, after the fights are over, if you go to the center bar, there might be a good chance to see me and John Morgan have some golden frosty beverages. There, there's probably a good chance you're going to see that. Uh, but yeah, man, it's, uh, yeah. So the hard rock here in Tampa, just, uh, they just opened up a complex, uh, you know, not too long ago and, and starting to do live fights. And I mean, I'm just, I mean, I look, I'm just looking to go out on Thursday night. Tickets weren't cheap, bro. How much were they? Uh, before fees, $85. That's really pricey. You must have some good seats. Well, I mean, it's it's a small venue. It, it's yeah. not a big venue at all. And so uh, I want to say tickets were like, I don't know, they probably started like 60 bucks. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm like, I don't think it was like 85. And then maybe like the, if it was like VIP or 150, but those are gone. Like I wait till the last minute to get tickets, bro, because like I just never know what my schedule is going to look like. And, and that's probably like kind of one of the reasons I really haven't been to shows is just like uh, I want to say this is the third time the CFFC has come to Tampa. You know, they've, they've got to deal with the, the Hard Rock Corporation. And uh, just there are times I think like one was during football season, so that really didn't work out. Um, and then another time for I, th- I want to say they were back, or maybe here in February. I want to say, uh, but I think it was like it might have been Valentine's Day night. Yeah, that 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 ain't gonna fly, bro. Yeah, you <laughs> that ain't gonna fly. You can't justify going. I can't believe they ran a card on Valentine's Day. I mean, it must have been a lot of single people in that audience because anyone in a relationship, unless you're a both love fighting, which the, those do wow. exist. There are fighting couples that love MMA. Yeah, but you know what? No, but who says the girlfriend or the wife says, I know my boyfriend or husband's a huge fight fan, and this is what I want to treat them for Valentine's Day. I can see, I can, but I can see the way you're talking about it too. I'm <laughs> going, <Yeah. laughs> going, hey, honey, can we go to uh, live fights for Valentine's Day? My yeah. wife would probably look at me and go, what the fuck is wrong with you? You you are an idiot is what I would be told. <laughs> you are an idiot. Yeah, especially because by and large, you know, um, Valentine's Day. If you're in a relationship where it's a dude and a girl, the the uh, the Valentine's Day is about the girl more so than the guy, right? Like usually in that normal, you know, in that uh, in that type of situation, yeah. the guy just is trying not to get in trouble. Oh, totally. Oh, totally. Which is just, which is like a very like a very like normal heterosexual thing. I do wonder, in like when you're if you're in a same sex relationship, who gets who who plays that role because that is a very powerful role. I would love to be the one who is treated on Valentine's Day. That is something I would love, Jason, because I have never uh, been uh, treated on Valentine's Day the way I, I you know the, the lady friend expects it. For so, me, and my wife, Valentine's Day is not it's not a a huge deal. Mm-hmm. You know, I just I just feel like in any relationship on a holiday. You have one person who is like the benefiter and one person who has to make sure the benefiting happens, you know, like on my birthday, I'm the benefiter, but I just feel like in all the other holidays, I'm the one that has to do a little bit more or make sure it goes off without a hitch or else I'm getting thrown under the bus. And yeah, so, and it does feel like it, that's a very like stereotypical gender thing where it's like, it's always the dude who's got to make sure Valentine's Day goes without the hitch. Look, at the end of the day, we're all trying to stay out of the doghouse. I mean, exactly. I mean, exactly. That's at the end of the day, that's what we're all trying to do. Um, you know, by the way, speaking of doghouse, maybe Nate Diaz is in the UFC doghouse. 
So we're recording this here on late Tuesday afternoon. Nate Diaz just finished up an interview with Ari Hawani about uh, about 30, 45 minutes ago. And it, it was a it was a good interview. I thought Ariel did a really great job with it. The, the one thing I mean, literally the, the cliff note version is simply this. Nate Diaz wants to fight out his last fight of his UFC deal and walk away from the UFC. He didn't really like he wasn't he wasn't super negative about the UFC. I mean, here's uh, some of the quotes uh, that he said, and this was uh, transcribed by MMA junkie saying, quote, I was trying to get the show on the road and they don't want me out of the contract. And they keep, and they're keeping me in and they're holding me hostage. And I won out. That's the main objective here. And it's been an objective of me since, I don't know what year was it, but the year I fought Vincent Henderson, by the way, that was 2012 goes on to say they haven't offered me anybody i've been asking for fights since whenever i asked for a lot of fights i asked for luke tony ferguson i asked for like four or five people and they were no they were no going there and then they finally offered me hamzat fight and i gave them a little what the f and then i was like why not let's just get it done with and get it over i asked for the hamzat fight and then all kinds of excuses started happening but remember i was like i want december i want january i want march i want all these things when i'm asking for a fight they offer me more money then they offer me more money more money i'm at a point in my career and my life where i don't want any more money i just want to depart I'm over the whole UFC roster as of right now. All these guys that they can offer or I'm even asked for, everyone's been used and abused. It's a recycled division, lightweight or welterweight division. I feel like there's nobody worthy. There's no worthy opponents at this moment. UFC, can you please have my last fight and be on my way? And Daniel, one way I would really describe this interview is for fans who don't really pay attention to the business side of this sport. Nate Diaz is offering a glimpse into what a fighter goes through when their contract is coming to an end. Like, look, I don't magically think the UFC is going to cave in the Nate Diaz. This just is not their style, but it's one of those things as a, a fan of combat sports, you just want to say, man, UFC, just, just let Nate fight, put him on the, put him on that August pay-per-view. Put him up against, you know, someone like, you know, maybe it's like a, a Dustin Poirier. Someone's going to put on an exciting fight and just move on because this just is not a healthy relationship. Yeah, it, it shows you to me that the UFC, the situation with the UFC and how they utilize their contracts isn't very ethically sound because it sounds like Nate Diaz is being held hostage until he re-signs an extension. And he was not going to be able to be released until they give him a fight and they aren't giving him a fight. That is crazy to me. Like in a world where I work as an at-will employee, I can just quit and move on. I have that freedom. I can't fathom what it's like to be in a contract like that. At least when you are an NFL player, or an NBA player. And I know if you're an NBA player, you're basically an at-will employee. You can request to leave your team one year after signing a six-year deal. I know that's how it works now in the modern NBA. <laughs> it sounds like you're coming from a Rockets fan perspective. <laughs> yeah, or or a Nets fan, or anyone who's been had James Harden on their team. I'm sure the Sixers will feel the same way next year. Uh, at least when you're in a league like that, you know, like, bro, I signed a five-year deal, five years, I'm out. 
it's like Nate's being held in purgatory, Jason, yeah. arbitrary land. And this is a sport, whether it be mixed martial arts or bare knuckle boxing, where Nate Diaz will not be doing this five years from now, I don't think. Right? It's it's he's up there in age. And time is money. The UFC's taking as much money out of Nate's pocket the longer they don't put him in, in the octagon. What do you think the resolution ends up actually being here? I keep saying, what's the middle ground? Where can both sides meet in the middle? And I just don't know where that is. Yeah, I don't think there is a middle ground. I really don't. I don't think Nate has any interest uh, of doing a middle ground. We all know how the UFC operates. They want to give Nate Diaz the toughest fight possible. That's why they kept offering Hamzat Shemaev. But there does become this point where you just go like, man, like, you know the UFC is about the business. They're not about the fighters. Let's 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 not kid ourselves on that one. It is the middle ground something along the lines of, "Hey Nate, we'll give you your, you know, we'll give you a fight. We'll let you walk, but you can't walk to another MMA promoter." Maybe that's the middle ground. I guess so, but that's an outrageous amount. That's an outrageous concession that Nate has or, to make. Or maybe the concession is you can't you can't fight somewhere else in MMA for a year. That's that's a more realistic concession, I think. So, but again, if I'm Nate, I'm just like try. I, I wonder, does this contract have a time qualifier? Like, there, there's probably a an exclusive negotiating rights period in, in terms of you know three months, and and probably they have a matching right for up to one year. No, I mean, but what about what about in terms of if they don't give him a fight? Does this thing just stay forever? No, they have to. They they have to offer him a fight every three months. Uh, otherwise, they're. Um, they're in violation of the contract. So what's that situation like but, now? But also, every time they offer Nate in a fight, he turns it down. It extends it out more and more. Interesting. That that's the way. That, I mean, it's it's a crappy part of this business. Yeah, that's a very complex system. Yeah, yeah I don't know, man. So I let's say in a perfect world, he does fight. You go in the disemployee route. That's to me the fight that makes the most sense. Yeah. I, yeah, I, mean, I know I, Dustin's been in the gym. I mean, he's been he's been uh, helping guys get ready for fights. So you'd have to imagine he would he would jump on board with that. And and I'm sure if you're Dustin Poirier, you look at that fight and you say, "Man, stylistically, this is a great matchup for me." I know, I know, man. I think that's a great fight. I mean, I would love to see that Chimaya fight. God, I'd love to see it. But the Dustin fight is just as good. Like yeah. that's just as good. I mean, dude, you could put you could put Diaz. We'll, we'll we'll get into this when we talk about the the UFC this past weekend. This lightweight division is insane. This lightweight division is insane. You could literally pick Nate Diaz, pretend he's a dart, throw him on a dart board with all top 15 lightweights, and you're going to get a good fight. Yeah, I mean, look, if I'm a top five lightweight, that's primarily a striker. Like, I would be sitting there. I, I, I wouldn't necessarily. I would probably try to go through back channels and figure out, like, how can I get in contact with Nate? And let's just sit there and say, hey, let, let's work together to put a fight together. I mean, uh, can you can you imagine what Nate would do for Fasiv if he fought Nate, uh, Raphael Fasiv next? Uh, Fasiv would, would probably piece him up. He probably would, but, like, stylistically, you tell me that would not be a fun fight? Oh, that'd be a great fight. That'd be a great fight. And it, but it would be a star-building and, and, and Fazeev, performance for him. And Fasiv would probably go to 170 to fight him. That's true. He, man, Fasiv looks like a bodybuilder. Yeah, he, he probably would, and it would just it would be a great fight, and it would be a fight that I would have Fazeev winning easily, right? Like, I mean, I mean, like, like, look, like, yeah. if Connor was healthy and ready to go, you just make Connor Nate three, but and Nate talked about it in this interview, he goes, my timetable and the timetable for Connor McGregor don't match up. Connor McGregor ain't coming back till twenty twenty three. 
you know, best case scenario, probably first quarter of 2023. But ultimately, is if you're Conor McGregor, you know, it, it, when he returns, is it is it an MMA matchup or is it something else? Yeah, I maybe they should just do Patty Pimblett versus Nate Diaz. <laughs> they can they can fight a light heavyweight. Yeah, but I I think we I think we talked about it a couple weeks ago the the IG transformation of Patty Pimblett from when he started camp to uh, where he's at now basically of how much weight he's lost because he just balloons up in between fights. I I was watching his vlog and he does a, he actually does a really good job of his vlog like his vlog is a good watch I don't watch all of them but sometimes they come up on the YouTube and this is what he said he said. I've got a fat face. That's what he said. He said, I've got a fat face and it goes to my face first. And I feel like I got to have a fat face too. And I, I can see where he's coming from, where it's like, he says it just goes to his cheeks. All right. And it just, he looks fat. Then he, he also says, yes, there were some photoshopping done to some of these pictures. Like there was that one picture of him and Molly McCann where it was clearly Photoshop, but his, his thought, his, his, obviously he eats a lot and obviously he grinds and he does a lot of farting and burping by the way, while he's training. But, uh, his explanation is he just has a fat face, which I, I can I can like relate to. I, I relate to Patty Pimblett. I feel like if you said that that line to fighters, they would go, nah, I don't know what you mean, bro. <laughs> I mean, like, look, you can. I mean, this is a dude that's at a post fight press conference just chowing down the greasiest pizzas in the world. Hey, man, but I can relate so hard to him. I mean, I love the, I love that stuff. Uh, Dude, bro, I'm with you. Pimlet. I would be Patty Pimlet as a fighter, you know. But, yeah, he just fantasizes about food. Like, you know, some fighters have issues with uh, – I was watching The Ultimate Fighter. Um, I literally have two episodes until I'm caught up. And on this episode, one of the fighters who was eliminated decided to drink before training. And uh, – by the way, somehow the fighter who told Juliana Pena was apologizing to the fighter who was drinking about ratting her out. I'm like, hold on a second. You you were drinking before training. You are obviously the bad guy. Okay, well, what were they drinking? I, now you've piqued my curiosity. She was, she was doing shots. She was doing shots. She was sad because she she didn't make the semifinals. Oh, okay, all right, hold on, hold on. Are we talking a morning session or an afternoon session or a night session? This feels like an evening session. Okay, all right, okay. Like if you, you had told never me like drink before. <laughs> now look, if you had told me like, hey, nine a.m. they're doing shots, I might go. Uh, you might need, to, you know, mm-hmm. have a conversation. I, yeah, nine. Well, I still believe any time before training, if you do shots, that is a problem. I, I just Juliana said she smelled like alcohol and she was lethargic during training. But, uh, yeah, so that was the first time all season that my ears kind of perked up. I was like, this is some good drama here. But, yeah, you know, it, it's better for Patty Pimblett to be addicted to food than possibly drinking before training. That That, that is very true. Uh, so before the Nate Diaz interview today, the hot topic on MMA Twitter was a tweet that came out from one of the Nelk boys, which uh, uh, Kyle Forgard. I guess I, I pronounced that wrong. I'm, I am vaguely familiar with the Nelk Boys. I know they've got the top ten podcasts, which is one of the uh, top podcasts on the ratings charts. Where Dana White gave him two hundred and fifty thousand dollars for his birthday, which of course got a lot of people, uh, you know, going, "What the hell is going on here? Why is the UFC president giving you know one of the Nelk Boys?" Which so like two thoughts that immediately came to my mind when I saw this was. The first thought I had was, 
I remember when they were doing a Dana White looking for the fight earlier this year at James Krause's promotion, FAC, and it was talking about how one of the fighters was going to um, get a sponsorship from the Nelk Boys, which ultimately ended up being Isaac Dolgarian. And so after the fight's over, Isaac Dolgarian's manager, who's Jason House, who has uh, who operates Iridium Sports uh, Agency, has over 100 fighters in the UFC. They get a contract that's not a sponsorship contract. It's a management contract, which made that really weird. And then the other thing I thought of is, okay, so Dana White is giving more money to a podcaster than pretty much he's giving for, you know, 95% of, of his roster. It made me wonder, maybe Dana has some type of financial interest in the Nelk Boys. <laughs> That is probably something that is true, and apparently they're one of the top podcasts. Dana is a businessman. I feel like they kind of appeal to the same audience that Dana White likes. When I look at some of their guests, you can kind of tell where I'm getting at yeah. here, and that's kind of the that's kind of the world that Dana I think likes. Right? He he likes that type of world. Uh, so also probably makes him feel younger, but. To say, if you're peeling back the layer and saying Dana White probably is in the Nelk Boy business, I think you can read the tea leaves and say that's accurate. And for Dana, I can't criticize him for wanting to do that because it probably makes him some money. I mean, I'm sure that's a very profitable business. It seems like they have a pretty wide reach. This is just a bad look. It's just a bad look to to <laughs> to, to do that. I mean, there's just you know as soon as that video gets tweeted out. The quote, the quote retweet by a UFC fighter is going to get more social media interaction right. than the act itself. I mean, it's all performative. Louis Smoko, a former UFC fighter, uh, he uh, quote tweeted and basically said, he's like, hey, uh, anybody want to talk about a union? Which, like, I'm at this point when it comes to fighter union topic uh, that I'm just like, you know what? Fighters just have to, if they truly want to change the game, that this is how they can change the game. That That's just the way I look at it in terms of it. You know, I, I know that there's going to be people in MA Twitter that are going to continue to talk about it, but for me, it's just like, I'm kind of over the, the subject, honestly, Daniel, because I, I just look at it and I say that I don't, just don't think anything's ever going to happen from it. I, I just, I really don't think anything's going to, is ever going to come from it. I mean, I, I would hope that something would come from it. Also, like I look at this and Daniel and go, all right, Daniel, let's say I hand you $250,000 in cash in a bag, which what Dana White did. He didn't give him a check. He gave him straight up cash. Why would you put that on film where I don't know? Uncle Sam could be watching and Uncle Sam is now going to look at that guy's tax return and go, did you claim that $250,000? Yeah, there's no way they're going to claim that 250000 but maybe they will. Because- <laughs> Are you be- Since you put that stuff on film, bro, hey, hey, Nelk boys, hat tip, you might want to claim that. That's funny. Yeah. Yeah. But it's all a TV show. I mean, it's all, it's all a TV show. It's all to get these likes. I mean, 25,000 favorites right now I see on Twitter. That's, that's just an insane amount of social media interaction, but it's, it's like, yeah, it's like those videos of people giving money to like the homeless on social media where they're just trying to go viral. I mean, this is all performative. Like I wouldn't be surprised if the note boys gave it back to Dana White after they were done recording, you know, 
that's how fake these things are. But they probably kept it. But yeah, Uncle Sam will be interested. Did you see that? Uh, I, I should have I should have shared it with you, so we could have put it in the rundown. You see the Bloody Elbow article about UFC. It's titled "UFC Pain Lobbyist Big Money as Senate Closes on Bill That Could Affect Fighters Employee Status." Did you see that? I saw the tweet. I haven't read the article. Yeah, we should, I should have sent it to you because it's, it's, it seems relevant, basically. Well, I mean, like, like I was so on Sunday's podcast, I was talking about the disclosed salaries from the PFL, which is just a prime example why fire is going to the PFL. But the one thing that the UFC has done now for probably, I would say, last five, six years is they have done a tremendous job of lobbying in all the states that they're going to to make sure that salaries are not released. It, you, you don't see it released in Nevada. I'm pretty sure in your home state of Texas, they don't release them. Here in Florida, they don't release them. Georgia happened to release them. California is one of the states that released them. But like the UFC spends a ton of money in lobbying for laws to make it be beneficial. You know, I remember a couple of years ago, I had someone in the MMA industry, we were, we were talking about disclosed salaries. And I'm like, you know, like it paints a picture, but it doesn't paint the entire picture. And their response was for managers having disclosed salaries out there can be a very good thing because then it can allow you to kind of figure out, you know, like say you have a fire, let's just say the fighters ranked eight in 155 pound division, just to throw a division out there. You have the fighter that's ranked ninth. It kind of gives you an idea of, of what type of contract you should expect from the UFC. Yeah, it's uh it, there's it's a lot of stuff they're doing under the radar to help them out you know i wonder if they have like a just like a a secret vice president of nefarious operations that is just responsible of doing all these things well i mean i guarantee you that wme has a legal department that i mean literally that they they have set us you know they probably have a budget of how much money are we are we using for for lobbying for for laws to benefit us as a company so I was reading this article and basically it's if the bill is passed, it would give fighters more of a shot at being recognized as employees within the UFC. And it talks about how obviously it doesn't disclose which side the lobbying money goes for, but it's clear which side it goes for. So that's the moral of the story is uh, they're, they're trying to work on the line employment status of a mixed martial artist to uh, to to. For them to remain independent contractors in the eyes of the federal law after the Senate bill passes. That's uh, from Bloody Elbow. It's yeah. talking about two different bills. The last thing the UFC want is fighters to become employees of the Ultimate Fighting Championship. I mean, let, let's just be, uh, that's the reality of the situation. The last thing that WME, the everyone in the UFC wants, like they don't want to have to collectively bargain with athletes. I mean, because they have the ability to push things through and fighters essentially have no say. I mean, let's look at USADA. Look, USADA has been great for cleaning up this sport, but the fighters have no say in, in how that, that drug testing policy. I mean, you know, we talked about last week, the Volkanovsky thing uh, of him getting tested on fight day in Abu Dhabi while he's sleeping. You would love to see it change, but... Uh, unless some you know DC lawmakers are, are willing to turn away money from from lobbyists that are going to be beneficial to the, the promotion as opposed to the fires, I just don't see things changing. Yeah, things things will not change, my man. Things will not change. By the way, speaking of May Twitter, I saw this interesting tweet this morning. Yes, sir. And 
it, it came on my timeline. I actually saw Malky uh, retweeted it, and uh, it was from this Twitter handle at base under, underscore SFM, and it was simply this. Oliveira's three title fights are more memorable than Izzy's entire title reign. My first thought was, I agree. Yeah. Izzy right. has had some not exactly the most fan-friendly, exciting fights where Charles Oliveira, I mean, look, you know some crazy stuff's going to happen. He's going to get rocked at some point, but then it's just like you, his fights are exciting. Like when you talk about fighters that you want to go out of your way to watch them fight because they're going to go out there and put on a show, Charles Oliveira's in that top of, top, top of that list. I mean, yeah, I mean, Charles Oliveira's three championship fights have been some of the most memorable lightweight championship fights we've ever seen. You know, Aden Sanya has had a very long middleweight championship reign, and I think his most memorable fights is uh, Costa, uh, Robert Whitaker, and he had a, I guess the Costa fight. The Costa fight to me is probably the most memorable thing mm-hmm. Aden Sanya's done other than when he unified the championship against Whitaker. And then I guess that's it, Right. I mean, well, you remember the Romero fight sucked. Mm-hmm. Romero fight sucked. He had a fight against Sion, which is notable how he performed pretty well against light heavyweight champion, but that's not middleweight title. The fight against Vittori, the fight against Whitaker, a second time to me didn't do me wonders. And then the the Canier fight again wasn't the most exciting fight. So, yeah, I I think it's obvious that that statement is true. Um, I know Auden Sainz has been on the offensive when it comes to battling back against Chris Pratt for his comments on the post-fight show. Auden Sainz, <laughs> you know, said some comments about how he was happy with his performance. He wasn't overjoyed. But I think for Israel, I don't want to blame him for being a boring fighter because he's not boring, but he doesn't take risk, which is fine. Yeah. It makes sense for him not to take risk. He's the – he's – fighting in a sport and he should try and win and he's really good at it it's just the reality of the situation is no matter what happens in terms of technically speaking the casual fan or even myself watching a pay-per-view was not entertained and that's not his problem that's just what happened and we're just analyzing the fact that maybe had he had a dominant performance his stardom would have just completely erupted, but it didn't. With that being said, with that being said, that's true what that tweet said. I still think Aiden Sanya is a much bigger star than Oliveira. Let me let me put it to you this way, and, and I think this becomes the interesting. So we know the likelihood is Izzy will take on Alex Bahia in his next fight. We have no idea who Charles Oliveira is going to fight next likeliness is it's going to be Islam Mahachev. I saw some comments where Charles Oliveira basically said, if you want me to take that fight, you need to pay me. Um, obviously, he wants to wait for Conor McGregor, but if he's going to wait for Conor McGregor, he's got to wait on the sideline for a long time. So let's just say it's Islam Mahachev. What fight? You can only watch one fight live. You're, you're forking over the 80-plus dollars on, on ESPN Plus to watch that pay-per-view. Which fight do you pick? I still say I think it's Izzy. Because God, of the ba- because of the backstory, because like I look at it and say is from a a fan perspective, 
I think Izzy and Alex will be a more fun fight to watch where I could see where Charles and Islam may not be the most exciting because Islam just outgrapples them. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think so. But it, it's close because Oliveira's grappling would make it interesting, even though Mahachev will probably get that top position and that dominance. Oliveira is the one guy off of his back that would give Islam the most fits. Mm-hmm. That being yeah. said, Adin Sanya and Pereira is a story, and that's what we love. We love these stories. But, you know, even though, again, just to get back to my original point, like, I, I still think Oliveira, despite having these historic performances, is probably less of a star than Adin Sanya, Usman, probably less of a star than Ngannou for sure. And then probably more of a star than Sterling and Davis and Figueredo and Volkanovski. I mean, maybe that's just a bias of like weight classes and usually guys who are heavier or just bigger stars. But I do feel like on a standalone pay-per-view, Adin Sanya, Usman, and Ganu can kind of carry a pay-per-view more so than uh, Oliveira. In fact, I would register that Izzy is either the number one or two most marketable champion they have right now. To me, it's either him or Ngannou in terms of most marketable champions. And for people who listen to this podcast for a long time, you know that I work in in the bar industry. Uh, I will tell you that the last pay review, which we did not get, uh, we got more calls whether or not we would have that fight than we've probably gotten in probably since the last Conor fight. Izzy just comes across as special in the pre-fight hype. Yeah. And he is a special fighter. It's just... What he does isn't easily digestible for someone watching the pay-per-view. We can digest him knocking a dude out in the first round. We can't digest him not making that many mistakes and outclassing a guy on the feet who doesn't take a risk himself, his opponent. I think the problem becomes is when fans who are not like me and you, who are taking in everything, that they're only taking in fights every so often and, and they hear about this buzz of Izzy and then they watch and they watch him fight a couple weeks ago. They, they walk away with it going, well, that wasn't what I was expecting. Yeah, exactly. And also for those people, this has nothing to do with Izzy. If they bought the pay-per-view, they also heard all about Sean O'Malley mm-hmm. and they were soured by that performance already. And, and while the pay-per-view did have two really good fights, um, and then it also had a really interesting five round fight between Holloway and, and, and Volkanovski. That bookend of the two most hyped fights being disappointments is what the consumer thought afterwards. Will they come back and watch Adin Sanya Pereira? I do believe so. But it's, that's just that's just the moral of the story of what, what took place there. Yeah. I mean, it's look, it, it was just an interesting tweet that I saw out there. Uh, something else I saw, I actually saw this on the MMA Reddit channel. And it was an interview that the Schmo did with Mark Radner, who's a vice president of regulatory affairs for the UFC. Mark Radner, an OG when it comes to the regulatory side of this sport. And the Schmo brought up open scoring to Mark Radner. And I'm going to let you hear what Mark Radner said. And basically, I'm just going to tell you, Mark Radner's response was absolutely not surprising at all to me. So a lot of people talk about open scoring. What side of the fence are you on with having open scoring in the sport of mixed martial arts, specifically the UFC, Mr. Ratner? Against. I'm, I'm uh, adamantly against. I've been involved in open scoring in boxing. I, I understand all of the arguments. 
One of my favorite moments in combat sports, this may sound silly to a lot, but when I hear Michael or Bruce Buffer say, you're waiting after a three round or five round fight, and say, and still or new. It's an iconic moment that you don't get in any other sport. And I, I do understand some of the arguments. <clears throat> All I would tell any cornerman, never say that you got the fight in the bag to your fighters. Say, man, this is a close fight. We don't know how they're going to judge it. Go out in that third round and fight like hell. But as someone who's been involved in the sport of boxing and knowing where mixed martial arts came about 30 years ago, we incorporated the same rule structure as boxing. Do you believe mixed martial arts needs to have their own scoring system, or you like the current system we're still using right now? I, I think it needs to be modified some. Uh, you got 50 different commissions, probably maybe 38 or so that are current, and to change the rules and really do it uh, would be a, 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 a tough undertaking. But yeah, I think there could be some uh, some some changes, but um, for the most part, it works. And, and I would say that 80% of the rounds, anybody can judge. There are 10, 9 rounds are it's those 20% that are really tough. And in a five-minute round, usually you, you can make a decision. That's why we don't see too many 10-10 rounds. But uh, you know, in, in, in the, um, the Thug Rose fight, it was pretty tough to make a decision there, and I understand that And uh, with Carla. So, uh, but, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm still on the uh, no open scoring side. And Daniel, that was not a surprise to me that Mark Ratner, and, and as much as when you go on to MMA Twitter, everyone is all for open scoring. I've said that it doesn't matter what a fighter think. It doesn't matter what people who resp- report on the sport thinks. It matters to literally probably at most five people. I would say Dana White, Mark Ratner, Scott Coker, Corey Schaefer, who runs regulatory affairs for for Bellator. And if I was probably going to label a fifth one, I'd probably say Jeff Mullen, the executive director of Nevada Commission. You know, um, the most interesting thing I heard from that sound was something I hadn't thought of in terms of my own personal opinion with open scoring. Personally, I think for a long time, I've been pretty, pretty for open scoring. But what Mark Ratner said, it takes away the moment of and still or and new. That kind of hit home with me because that is a great moment that would be gone. That moment of I don't really know who won this fight. This was a close fight. That moment is pretty special. And to just do away with that moment, that's a real concession we would be making if we were to go towards open scoring. And again, it seems unlikely we will. But I must say, hearing that kind of shifts my own personal opinion about whether or not we should go in open scoring. I mean, going back to the Ultimate Fighter, I had a thought of, damn, what if we stole the Ultimate Fighter rules? And after two rounds, <laughs> we uh, we decided <laughs> if, if somebody won, if somebody was up 2018, the fight's over. <laughs> I was thinking that I was watching all these three round fights and decisions this past weekend. I was like, damn, this was this would go by a lot quicker if uh, if old Syed Yukov's fight was over after two rounds uh, of wrestling or or Barello's fight was over after two rounds of wrestling instead of watching that third round. But, you know, you kind of watch the third rounds of the ultimate fighter fights and they feel a little more aggressive in terms of both fighters are fighting for those last five minutes because that's all that matters. But yeah, I'm, 
I'm kind of moving towards being against open scoring. Mark Ratner kind of spoke to me there. I mean, it's like, Daniel, if we were running a fight promotion together, and you know we're a noble fight promoter you know we're we're on a, a major television platform i don't think i would be for open scoring because i would look at it from a promoter's angle of saying i want that drama i want the drama of you know is someone sitting at home or you know they're, they're sitting in the crowd that they don't know who may be, may or may not be winning the fight i mean you know look i think that at the end of the day i think it just comes down to is you know, for these, you know, 10% of rounds throughout a year that are questionable that the judges just become better at, at assessing it. You know, like I was thinking about, cause like I did not, well, let me just, I was enjoying a few daddy sodas as you like to say. Mm-hmm. So I really wasn't quote unquote paying attention to Raphael Fazeev and RDA, but I watched it after the fact. And the one thing that I'm watching it and the word I kept thinking about watching it was damage because that is just a word that has been ingrained in terms in terms of, of what judges are, are looking at. And like, you know, we can kind of slide into UFC Vegas 58 and like there was like you look in that first round, the best, the, the most notable shot Fazeev landed. And I thought it was a fairly close fight. I thought Fazeev was winning the fight, but going into that fifth round, it was like, Oh my, the tides turned here. Now I thought Mark Smith was a little too quick in the stoppage. I don't think it's an awful stoppage, but I'm also like, I mean, now he's right there. Maybe he saw something in the eyes of RDA, but like I sat there and watched it and I was like, uh, I think that stoppage is a little too quick, but yeah, even already, I mean, RDA didn't have really have a big problem with it, which probably took me, tells me he knew he was done. Yeah, I think um, it was one of those deals where that fight wasn't stopped. Then it would have been stopped five seconds later. Yeah, but you are you are right. It, it did. It felt a little early, especially because like the knockout. He kind of the knockout wasn't like uh, wasn't like that viral knockout of the head kick that was going on. I don't know if you saw that the head kick knockout from LFA. The guy did a head kick, and the other guy literally jumped up in the air and landed on his back. It was insane. It was brutal and it was violent. This one was. It wasn't like he clipped him because he didn't clip him. He hit him, but he kind of, you know, it, it wasn't like, oh my god, he's dead. It was like he's knocked out, kind of. And then he hit one shot, and then he hit a second shot, and the fight was called. So he he could have let it play a little longer. I agree with you, man. Watching this fight was interesting. Um, There's a lot of moments where. Maybe RDA was controlling the fight against the cage, but he wasn't really able to do much, so you couldn't really score that for him. He would throw a lot of strikes, but you really got the sense that Fazeev had the much more significant strikes, and they had a lot more zip on his punches. Um, By the way, just quick side tangent. The more I was thinking about the Mark Ratner quote, that's kind of BS. We would still have those moments of and still and and you if it goes to the fifth round. No, no, but if you already already know who's up – you may no, not but, have that moment, but if if the, if the fight goes to round three and it's it's tied, then we won't know. So we won't well, say goodbye like, to those. Like let's say it's thirty nine thirty seven after four rounds. Yeah. Okay. Those will go away, but not all of them. Yeah. We will still have those moments. I just want to say that Mark Rander tried to fool me. He didn't. We will still have those moments. There will still be fights. You are right. Some will be gone, but we will still have those yeah. moments. Anyways. Uh, yeah, all I can say is this, Jason. I'm all aboard the Raphael Fazeev hype train. I mean, like, 
RDA could not wrestle this guy down to the ground. I mean, maybe he scored one takedown that shouldn't really have counted as a score of a takedown because he's right back up. Yeah. But, dude, who the hell is going to be able to beat this dude? Physique. Grappler. Yeah, but but Fazeev's wrestling is absurd. Okay. If I was managing a top five UFC lightweight and Rafael Fazeev is the opponent, I'm pushing for a five round fight. Yeah. Because, look, you know, did it seem like he was wearing down as that fight went on? Yeah. I mean, look, he's a, he's a, you know, he, he doesn't miss, he, he doesn't miss uh, strength and conditioning workouts. There's very clear on that one. But like when I, when he goes, give me Justin Gaethje, hell yeah, bro. Sign me up for that violence. I didn't see, did you say that in the post-fight interview? Uh, post-fight press conference. Oh, okay. I didn't see that, but that's exactly what I was thinking when I went to bed after watching the fight. All I was thinking was Fazeev and Gaethje. I mean, Fazeev's one of the most, him and, him and that dude, uh, Nirmaga Madoff, Saeed, both those strikers are they are they are such fun strikers to watch. Like like even if they win a decision, I'm super just enthralled at what they do, how fast they strike, how they counter. I mean, it makes sense why Fazeev is, is an instructor at Tiger Muay Thai. All right, looking at the lightweight ranking, so it just got updated, and Fazeev is now the number seven contender. So above him, you got Darius, Chandler, Machev, Gaethje, Poye, Oliveira. The only fight that I think is a potentially potentially bad stylistic fight would be either Darius or Machev. Any other of those guys, stylistically, I think is a great matchup for Rafael Fazeev. Dude, but I don't think Darius could take down Fazeev. I mean, RDA is a damn good takedown artist. He's His wrestling is good. Fazeev was able to stop his wrestling. Dar- he has phenomenal balance. Dariush is going to be one of those guys. I feel like we're going to look back two years yeah. from now and go, what happens if he doesn't suffer that injury? He gets the Machev fight. If that happens and he would have beaten Machev, he'd be fighting for a title. I feel like because of that injury, I think it's going to ultimately tarnish him potentially getting that title matchup. Yeah. At least he's doing a position to get there, but you're right. That injury. Damn. Yeah, that's uh, you're you're. I think Fazeev's gonna challenge for a title, man. I mean, I just, I they're not gonna put him up against Dariush. They're gonna put him up against Gaethje or Chandler or Poirier. They're not gonna put him up against Mahachev. I don't think. There, he's gonna get a championship opportunity <laughs> because they're gonna want to put him in these stylistic matchups. And it's hard for me to say that he is not a better striker than anyone else at 155. Like technically speaking. I think he's the best striker at 155. Especially with the way he does those kicks. Like there, there's things that I see. Um, I, I know Javier Mendez did an interview with submission radio guys and, and Ali has said things on, on social media. It almost makes me wonder that is the Islam Hachev camp concerned that they are going to get passed up because of his fighting style and that the UFC looks at and says, Hey, we'd rather do, you know, Oliveira against, you know, a more exciting fighter. I mean, but you know, Fazeev went out there. I mean, for RDA, probably, you know, championship, you know, hopes are, are, are now gone there. Uh, you mentioned about Saeed Nurmaga made off going, Going out there and getting decision win. A uh, hat tip to uh, our guy Aaron Bronster of TSN who had this tweet where he said, "With Syed Nurmagomedov scoring a win, fighters with Mahamev in their name have a forty-eight and eight record all time in the UFC." First off, 
I, I wonder, did Aaron, did, did someone give Aaron that? Or did if he truly went there and went down that rabbit hole, kudos, Aaron, to you for going down that rabbit hole to figure out that that's that. I'm going to start looking up the early UFCs and seeing if there's just, if there's like a, a Magomed that he may have missed. <laughs> but, yeah, that's a funny statistic. It's something I think we were all thinking like subconsciously that like these people with the Magomed of last name or just Magomed anywhere. First name, last name. They are damn good mixed martial artists. I don't know, like I don't know what's going on, but they're all amazing. Not only in the UFC, but in other organizations as well. Uh, you know, obviously not related to Habib. I feel like we need to mention this every time we talk about him, just to, so people know who and who isn't a, a part of Habib's family tree. But he certainly fights like it. Not in terms of wrestling style, obviously. He's a stand-up artist, but in terms of just being dominant. By the way, dude, shout out to Douglas Andrade's opponent. He is. He was a gamer, and I know Michael Johnson, Jamie Malarkey deserved to be fight of the night, but Saeed and, and Andrade was another fight that was deserving of that honor. Uh, it was. It was a badass fight. That was. That was a badass bantamweight fight. Both those guys are must watches for me. I thought uh, Michael Johnson got screwed out of a decision against Jamie Malarkey. Uh, I mean, look, I thought Jamie Malarkey would would threaten with the wrestling in in it, and God knows, man, he did not. He he went toe to toe there. I mean, it was a fun, exciting fight, but I thought Michael Johnson uh, should have gotten the win there. Uh, Cody Brunich uh, saw forms he had there against Treshawn Gore. You, you mentioned about Saeed Yokub. Man, that was just a dominant performance he, he put out against Ronnie Lawrence. I mean, Ronnie Lawrence, who had utilized grappling in his first two UFC fights and, and done well, but man, Saeed Yokub, man, he went out there, man. Hell of a performance. Yeah, you know, that was actually, that Saeed Yokub, Ronnie Lawrence fight snuck up on me. That was one of the better fights on this fight card, and it, it opened up the night. And, uh, yeah, it was really dominant wrestling from Hawk Rom- Romanoff. Um, so good good fight from him at Bantamweight. I actually thought Courtney Casey beat Antonina Shevchenko. That was a close fight, though. Shevchenko scored a lot with the leg kicks. Uh, but, of course, he had, Casey had get great success whenever she got within range. Uh, man, Kyle Barallo, middleweight, just dominant wrestling. Great takedown shot. He has an explosive takedown shot. And that allowed him to win that fight over Armin Petrosian. Uh, Torsios and Sahabi was a nice little scrap where it was just like her, Ricky was throwing a lot, but he just wasn't landing and Sahabi was counting. <laughs> Threw a lot and missed a lot. Yeah, yeah. And that was just a good eye on the judges to kind of recognize that Zahabi had won that fight. And didn't I see uh, like yeah. it was a record for like the amount of uh, the lack of accuracy in that one? I. I <laughs> I had I didn't catch that, but that's, okay. So that I just surprising. I just found the MMA Junkie article. Uh, it goes uh, Ricky Turkios rough striking numbers enter the record books. So let me uh, scroll down this article here. Oh, where is Ricky Turkios? Uh, let's see here. Ricky Turkios said uh, Turkios landed 11 and percent of the significant strike attempts, the fourth lowest single fight rate in UFC history amongst bout with at least 150 strike attempts. Only Marina Moroz, Wilson Hayes and Justin Wren have had worse performances. Wow. That's amazing. To, to, it's one in 10 strikes were landed significantly. That's, that's astonishing. I wonder what the number was for whoever it was with Morose or or Ren or or Hayes that had it. I wonder what their number was. Morose is is, is labeled six point eight percent. So one in twenty strikes over a hundred strikes. 
<laughs> that's insane, Jason. Bro, that that that's absolutely insane there. Um, what was the other thing I was going to mention? Oh, I thought about tweeting this during the fights because I was watching uh, the first part of the prelims from home. Kenny and Jack Wu. The first two rounds, I felt like I wanted to tweet this, but I, I saw someone else tweet this. So I just didn't want to copy it. It's like he he bet himself the win via submission. How much he was going for that win, and then third round he's just like, "Screw it, I'm just gonna you know ground and pound this to a victory." Yeah, yeah, it's uh, that was dude. He uh, man, he is interesting. He had an interesting frame look uh, compared to Carl Roberson. I mean, he just looked like a completely different yeah. weight class than Carl. I mean, Kennedy's like six five, lanky and stuff. But for first, it's a Juku man. Dude, just just dominant fight. Like, put himself in dominant positions on the ground. You were right. He was going for the rear naked choke, going for the sub. And then he just got full mount. And he's like, I'm going to land some ground and pound, and then I'm going to finish you off from back position. Yeah. It was a nice little performance. I enjoy watching Kennedy. I, I think uh, he's got a world of potential because of his frame and, and, and his skill. Yeah, I'm watching the fight. And I'm just like, bro, stop going for all these submissions. I, I know Carl's been submitted multiple times in his career, but man, just let your hands go on the ground. I mean, he was just, he, it's like he was looking for a submission of the night prop there. Uh, but uh, that is UFC Vegas 58, of course. Uh, the UFC back on Saturday, UFC Long Island afternoon MMA. Actually, well, it starts off in the morning. Uh, prelims start 11 a.m. Eastern time, 10 a.m. there uh, in the Rio Grande Valley for te- for Daniel Maincar. 2 p.m. Eastern time headline. Right, Brian Ortega and Yair Rodriguez. And uh, one thing I was, uh, I'm surprised how many sharp minds I've taken in over the past couple of days. I think this is a Yair Rodriguez fight. So what are you thinking? I, I mean, I thought Ortega, I mean, obviously, you know, this is the first fight for Ortega since that loss against Volkanovski. I thought we saw We've seen the changes yeah, that he's made in that Max Holloway fight. I mean, look, you know, the one thing is if if you're Yair Rodriguez, you got to keep this fight on the feet, man. You can't let this thing get to the ground. I think the only positive side for the Yair side in this equation is the fact of you don't think of Brian Ortega as a guy that's, a, you know, a great, you know, single leg or, or, or double leg takedown artist here. I think this probably the fight's going to go five five rounds, but I think Ortega takes a decision. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you, which means congratulations to Ayer Rodriguez. You know, he's, he's a slight, slight dog here, but usually I mean you are agreeing and you have a lot of sharps picking another guy. We're probably wrong. It was. It's odd to me that Yair Rodriguez came out and said that he has been told with a win – He's getting the next title matchup, which is just odd to me. He's two and two in his last four fights. Josh Emmett's on this great run. I mean, obviously a win over Brian Ortega is you know is better than what you know the the run that Josh Emmett's been on. But I'm sitting there going, like if I'm Josh Emmett, like what did this guy do to the UFC? They clearly hate this guy for some reason. I know they do hate him. And uh, look, in terms of why, I mean, I think the UFC clearly favors Jair over Josh Emmett. Um, He's Mexican, more credible in that aspect. They've, they've, I mean, he's, he's been put in a lot of, he's main evented a lot of shows. Yeah. I mean, look at how many fight nights he's main evented. That kind of tells you the UFC thinks highly of him. So yeah. he's in a different class than Emmett in that aspect in terms of the UFC loving him. And then, yes, yeah, so win over Ortega is better than anything Emmett's done. It almost made me wonder is the UFC planning a show in Mexico City and they want Yair to be headlining him? Man, I mean, they could. But that would be screwed up to the champ. Like, that would be screwed up to Volkanovski to have uh, 
your challenger fight his hometown. I don't disagree I, with you, but I like, mean that's an that's an unwritten rule. Like, and, and that's messed up. And Volkanovski's having I want to say his thumb surgery, and so he's going to be out eight to twelve weeks. So if he's out eight to twelve weeks, then you're putting our six eight week camp. I mean, it's going to be a, a long time for Volkanovski. I just thought it was an odd for him to come out. It, or I mean, obviously we're, we're expecting that. Of course, the UFC always could be lying to you here. I mean. I wouldn't put it past him. Well, it's either it's either Yair or Emmett. Oh, totally, totally. Yeah, I mean, and, and both these guys currently are tied at number three in the rankings. And yeah, I, you know, I almost feel like do you maybe see the winner of this matchup take on Josh Emmett, and then that ultimately determines the number one contender based on based is, on time frame. Yeah, I think um, I think that's possible. The only thing is Yair Rodriguez doesn't really fight that often. <laughs> I mean, this dude fights like once a year. But uh, I think that would be the that would be the most fair thing for Josh Emmett because if Josh Emmett doesn't get the next fight, he might get screwed out of the ne- the one afterwards, right? Yeah. Like then that gives more time for other fighters to do things. But if he doesn't get the next fight, he's going to be forced to take another fight. Yeah. And for Josh Emmett, it's like who does he fight next, right? Like let's say Yair beats Ortega, does Emmett fight? Max Holloway, why would Max Holloway take that fight? I, if I'm Max Holloway, I wouldn't take a Josh Emmett fight. I would take a much more interesting fight. For Josh Emmett, he's just got to make himself a more interesting dude. I mean, that's just the moral of the story. I don't know if he's got to get a hobby. I don't know if he's got to start dressing up like Uriah Faber. But currently, Uriah Faber probably has a better chance of fighting for the championship than Josh Emmett. You know, no, I'm joking. No, no, no. no. Here's what he does, Okay. This is where, and I think he, I think he's represented by um, Vayner Sports, which Uriah is a part of. Uh, maybe he's got to get start doing these duet videos on with these of these TikTok superstars to really get his following up. He might need to do that. He might need to. Do, he might need to give fifty thousand dollars to one of the Nelk boys. <laughs> Dude, there's you this. Are, are you a TikTok guy? Uh, just a little bit when I'm taking a poop. So I am, I am, I've, I've posted a couple of stuff up there, you know, clips from interviews, whatnot, but there's this guy on there, goose effing hilarious. Like I find myself, I'll be on TikTok for like 30 minutes, just scrolling through videos. Okay. Yeah, no, it's, it's definitely addicting. Like I definitely feel like I'm like being en- entranced, enchanted by like some dark magic as I'm on TikTok. I'm like, get it off of me. Oh, I got it away. <laughs> Because you, you like watch one, you're like, let me just watch another one. Let me watch another one. But yeah, I, I, I don't watch enough to where I know specific people. I'm not really following anyone on TikTok. I just watch the, the daily the algorithm, you know. They, they figured out your algorithm. They know what you want. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not going to divulge what the algorithm <laughs> says. That's between me and the phone. I'm just I'm more like for funny videos, man. But man, there, there was, God, I was on the other day. And I had to put the phone down. I'm like, I've been on this thing for like 45 minutes. Yeah. You just yeah, you start flicking through videos. And you, and you just you get to that point. You're like, okay, I need to stop. I got a problem here. Dude, when I had COVID, I got the screen, screen time report. <laughs> it told me I was on my computer, my screen for 18 hours a day. What else are you going to do? Even, I didn't even know I was awake that long. Yeah, it's like six I'm, hours. I'm not a reader. I'm 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 just not a reader. Yeah, I was streaming all day. The second I woke up, I was watching stuff on my computer. Told me to sleep. 
like Mark Ryder's got a book that just just came out. Like if I was a reader, I'd probably read that, but I'm just not a reader. Yeah. I'm I'm a well, you know streamer, podcast. That's that's my thing. Yeah. I try to read like ten pages a day, but that's about it. You know, I mean I, I don't know why my favorite NBA podcasts aren't talking about why are the magic not uh you know what what's the fake trade offers for the magic to get Kevin Durant? Come on. Yeah, yeah, he's gonna want to leave y'all's team after about two weeks. <laughs> Come on, you don't want like T. Ross, Markel Fultz, Jonathan Isaac. I hope they get. I hope they make that trade as a Rockets fan, but uh, I don't think the Nets fans to be too happy with that. Hey, hey tell wow. you, bro, I watched that Magic Rockets game. I know it's only one game. I think the Magic chose the right dude. Oh yeah, after one <laughs> summer league game, after one freaking summer league game, you've made your analysis. You want me to pull up the 2016 Summer League and see what superstars are are, are balling out now? All right, That's a bunch of malarkey, Jason. I, I don't know if you saw the other night. He, he did have a game-winning block. I don't know if you saw that. In the Summer League. Yeah, bro, bro, you, I'm, a, I'm a Magic fan. What, you think I'm supposed to get excited about January basketball? No, I have to get excited about July basketball, bro. Come on. Yeah, you know who else was good in the Summer League? Uh, Don Maker. A lot of guys. There's a lot of guys. Yeah. My my, my buddy's a Thunder fan, and I go. Ben Simmons. Hey, Mike's a beauty. Jimmer for debt. Oh, God, yeah. No, I was telling my buddy he's a Thunder fan. I was like, hey, bro, Chet may be talented. I go, homeboy needs to get in the weight room. I go, go, he's got some skinny ass arms. Dude, look at his dad, bro. He's not going to put on muscle. Bro, he is going to get bullied around. Yeah, but that's just gonna be the point guard of the team. Good lord, he, yeah, he's a point guard. Yeah. So, uh, but getting back to the UFC. <laughs> yeah, I got a little sidetracked there. <laughs> got a little sidetracked. We ended. With, we got the chat home. Okay. Trend. All right. All right. I want to see if we're in line here. Yeah, the number I two know, fight I, on I this know card. Where you're going now. Yes, it's it's Shane Burgos, Charles Jordan. How is this not the yeah. co-main event, bro? Like, yeah. like, yeah. You, like, like. Okay, no disrespect to Michelle Watterson and Amanda Lemos. Very important fight, but like in terms of we got a banger right here. Like, I feel like these two guys just gonna have a gentleman agreement. No takedowns. Yeah, that fight is badass. Like, dude. That's it. That's the second most interesting fight. It's not even close. There's like 10 layers of fights, and then there's the next most interesting fight. Jordan Burgos, you know that's going to be the fight of the night. If it's not Ortega, Rodriguez is good. I, I like Burgos to win that fight. I feel like the third, like the other fight that could have been the co-main event, and Watterson Lemos is a good little fight too, but even Tate and Murphy, like Misha Tate's a star, I think. You know, I'm, I'm telling you, Misha Tate wins this fight. Like, she will get a flyweight championship opportunity sooner rather than later. Oh, I, think, not, oh I would be – if she wins on Saturday, I would almost be floored if her next fight's not for the title. Yeah. I would just feel bad for uh, – for oh, God. What was the name of Shachenko's opponent? Uh, Tyler Santos. Yeah. I would feel bad for her. Because she kind of deserves a rematch, but yeah, she does. But if you're Valentina, the fight that's going to put the potentially put the most money in your pocketbook would be a Misha Tate fight. Yeah, it'd be a much easier fight too. So yeah, like you know, 
the, the Burgos and Jordan fight, I mean, look, that's the, you got two volume strikers. The only thing that would kind of worry me is is that Burgos does get a little reckless and maybe uh, Jordan can catch him in there. But like to me, that that is absolutely the number two fight on this card. Like there are some other fights that do intrigue me. Uh, Sumandarji, Matt Schnell would be one of them. Uh, another one would be Ricky Simone and Jack Shore. Jack Shore actually finished up his training camp at Sarah Longo with with his team, uh, getting ready for this one. Um, and uh, you know, I always you know Dustin Jacoby, a kind of a you know you know fan favorite here of the podcast, and uh, always enjoy watching him fight. It's he's been on an amazing run over the past couple of years, being being unbeaten. He's taking on Duong Jung. Uh, you know, was when, when I talked to Jacoby, I thought one of the most interesting thing that because Jung primarily a striker. But he had the matchup against um, William Knight, where he had I want to say he landed seven or eight takedowns. And I said to him, I was like, I was like, how do you prepare for a guy that you know? Why primarily you believe he's a striker, but he has shown the ability to take the fight to the ground. And he's basically like, well, everyone tries to take me to the ground, so it's nothing I'm not used to. He goes, but I do expect him to keep the fight uh, standing. Like, like, look, I don't know how Michelle Watterson beats Amanda Lemos. I just don't see it happening. Yeah, that that's a fight that I think Lambos wins as well. Um, Salikov, uh, Lee John Ling could be a, a fun fight. You know, yeah, Salikov's a really good one to wait. Yeah, he really is. And, and, and Lee's obviously coming off the loss to uh, Shimaev. That's a good fight. I mean, that that's pretty solid. Um, Burns and and Bill Agio's fine. Wait. Yeah, some, oh crap, we got Naga Madoff on here. Abu Bakar. Was that just so, added? I, I, it was on Wikipedia. Did it get canceled? This is the dude. I'm pretty sure Abu Bakar is the one who got suspended. Um, unless that fight has been added, like literally in the past couple hours, that, that fight's not on this card, bro. Let's see. It wouldn't be. It wouldn't be a Daniel uh, fight preview if I mentioned a card on Wikipedia that you didn't send in the run sheet. Yeah, I, I gotta see. I gotta see. This, I gotta see if Abu Bakar is fighting here, man. I want to see. You know. Uh, Look, he, it got, was, he was supposed to take got, on. It got damn it! It got canceled. Yeah, he was supposed to take on Phil Rowe. <laughs> that one got canceled five hours ago. I feel like that happened like after you sent the run sheet. <laughs> I, I go straight to the UFC stats website. That's how I know where the fish card is. Um, unfortunately, my guy uh, Billy Cortillo, he had to pull out of this fight card. He's got a uh, he put on his his, um, his IG. Oh, I want to say he called it a leg injury. He was out at the PI, so um, I don't know if maybe I'm going to see Billy on, on Thursday night uh, here at the local fights. I know he's back in Tampa. Uh, maybe get a little update for him. So Bill Algeo now takes on Herbert Burns. Herbert Burns lost his initial opponent, so you'll see just matches these two guys up. Uh, also a fight that was supposed to happen on this card, Ashkar Askarov and Alex uh, Perez uh, no longer happening on this card. Emily Dakota, she is the only fighter on this card making her UFC debut. Of course, uh, former Invicta champion, fought in Bellator back in the day as well. By the way, speaking of Bellator, uh, I did a pair of inter- uh, Bellator interviews uh, yesterday. Uh, to, uh, fun conversation with Roman Feraldo, the uh, highly, uh, you know, highlight real uh, welterweight. And uh, one of the things of, uh, let's just say he was uh, not, he's, uh, he goes, hey, no disrespect to my opponent, but I was really hoping for somebody in the top 10. Um, and uh, had had a really fun conversation with him. Uh, of course, uh, trains out of there in South Florida initially, uh, from Key West. Also talked to Dalton Rasta, who's uh, taking on Romario Cotton. This is actually, he told me, the fourth time they have been booked against each other. 
And so he's, he goes, well, we're 10 days out from the fight. He goes, so hopefully the fight's going to happen. <laughs> it's like a, it's like another version of Tony and Habib. Yeah. He, he literally said he, he, he went through every time it's been canceled and uh, you just, you felt, I felt bad for him. Like, Oh man, that sucks. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hopefully, hopefully it goes through. Uh, I'm looking forward to see some Bellator. Yeah, uh, Bellator's actually got uh, so they got that event. They got the event on August the twelfth, and then I think there's one other event maybe in August. Um, I, I heard some rumblings that they were going to come to Tampa at some point, but I guess uh, that didn't uh, did not come together. Uh, another note to mention before we get out of here: Yuri Prohashka. He went on his uh, I want to say it was his Instagram and said that he would like to have his next fight be a rematch against Glover Teixeira. Uh, Jan Blahovic said uh, by doing that, he's breaking the uh, I think he said the samurai code. I guess because Jan Blahovich wants to be next to try to get his title back here. But, uh, yeah, I, if you're Glover, I mean, you're probably thinking, thank God, because, I, you know, at, at Glover's age, I mean, I, I don't know, you know, what he'd have to do to get back yeah. to a title shot. He's got to wait. All right, wait until the next pay-per-view and see what happens between Anka Laev and uh, Anthony Smith. If Anka yeah. Laev goes out there and has a memorable performance, it's, you know, He's got to be right there in the. It's got to be. He has to be right there in the equation. Yeah, to me, Glover makes way more sense than Jan for sure. I would put Glover over Jan, but Ankalaya for Anthony Smith could be the you know the guy, and and Ankalaya is the one who you think maybe has a better shot. But we'll see. And just don't mention Anthony Smith that he's a four to one betting underdog in that one. Oh yeah, he's, he's got a, he's got a little defensive about one. He's he's a little pissed off about that. Hey man, he's what did he call himself? A nerd from? Uh, they call himself a nerd or nerd from Nebraska? Himself? Yeah, you know, nerd from Nebraska don't get much love, Anthony, on the betting odds. I'm sorry. Yeah, he uh, he spent he spent some time in um, in uh, the Carolinas with the uh, the Widemans and and the Thompsons, spent uh, and training there at home in Nebraska, and also uh, training out there in Colorado with the Factory X team. Uh yeah, oh, that's the, the, the that's the team with Jacoby and uh, Brendage, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good. Yeah, Brendage got that win, and then he's he, Jacoby was in his corner, and now you he's going to be in Jacoby's corner. That was nice. Yeah, you know the funny thing is, I was thinking about it because it, um, a friend request came up on my Facebook the other day, and you, you think of these fighters that we sometimes just forget about, but they're so much a part of a history of a promotion. Mm-hmm. Joe Warren. Like that's oh, a name yeah. from the past. Like I had not even thought of in such a long time. Yeah, but one of the most important Bellator fighters. I mean, he was he was one of the best Bellator fighters for a good period. I feel like he won two championships, right? Yeah, well, he I won forty five like and thirty five. Yeah, yeah, and I still remember Joe Warren. I feel like he fought in in the Dream promotion. It could have been Sengoku though, but I remember watching. No, he fought him in Dream. I want to say is it was your first or second fight was in Dream. He debuted in Dream actually. His first fight, and it was uh, it was this featherweight tournament, and he lost to Bibiano Fernandez in the finals. But he beat Kid Yam. I mean, the semis. But he beat Kid Yamamoto and Chase Beebe. So, yeah, that's good. Yeah, that, that's uh, one of the yeah, things. He, he, that's one of the things I think Bellator doesn't do a great job on. I think they've kind of because obviously it was a different era of Bellator that I feel like they just don't they don't put a spotlight on kind of those OGs of Bellator. Yeah, I mean, what, Cole Conrad, Hector Lombard, Jorge Masvidal, Ben Askren, Eddie Alvarez. Uh, you go back and you look at season one of Bellator, it's crazy the amount of names 
that were on the those cards. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense that they don't put a, a scope on a, a spotlight on Alexis Vila, but uh, no. all the other ones, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, Alexis, so, Alexis yeah. Vila makes sense. So there, Christian Mapumbo, I forgot about that dude. Bell, Emmanuel Newton, oh my god, I forgot about Emmanuel Newton. Yeah, Bellator one had Jorge Masvidal, had Eddie Alvarez, Tony Amata. Bellator two, Wilson Hayes, Lyman Good. Lyman Good's a guy we have not heard from in a while. Yeah, I forgot about Jimmy Rivera him. was on that card. Hector Lumbar was on season one. I want to say Travis Joe, Brown I was for, on the card I, I, at one point. I, I forgot Joe Soto was the first featherweight champion. Yeah. Which is crazy. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going know. I'm just I'm looking at some of these names uh that were on the on this uh Chaz Skelly fought uh, in season one of Bellator. Wow. Yeah, Travis Brown fought at Bellator ten. I I don't I don't remember that at all, whatsoever. Well, you remember back re- in the day that was when they were on uh, what was it ESPN Deportes? I want to say. Yeah, yeah, I remember when Roger Huerta was their big signing, and they were all excited about Roger Huerta being being associated with them. I remember Eddie Alvarez and Josh Neer. Remember that fight. Yeah, man, some of those those old school Bellators, you know, it was, um, it was Fox, Fox Sports and Net on some of these cars. Yeah, which, which could be wrong. Yeah, I mean, like look at like season two. That was when Shomenko debuted. Yeah, that's when Ben Askren debuted. Patricio. Who's a legend? I mean, when you when you're starting to look at Patricio's longevity in this promotion, it's really impressive. Bro, Georgie Carahanya was in season two, and the guy is still at it. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Georgie made his pro debut in 2006. We're in 2023, bro. 2022, bro. He's got he's, <sighs> he's on. Um, oh, he's got he got booked for maybe in September. I want to say maybe. <laughs> Hey man, by 2006, Andre Arlovski was already a heavyweight champion. So, did you see Frank Mears calling for a trilogy fight with Brock Lesnar? That sounds like murder. I don't care how long. It's, that sounds crazy. I'm like, I'm like oh, Frank. Oh. I, Frank, first off, I don't want to see that. And B, like, if I'm Brock Lesnar, like, bro, I'm I'm working part time over here, man. I got a good gig. Dude, by the way, did you see that damn Antonio Silva fight? At Bigfoot, uh, okay. I saw I saw it on on social media. Yeah, is there anyone around Bigfoot Silva that cares about him? Dude, his ma- his ex manager tweeted about it. I don't. I should put it, pull his tweets. What Alex Davis? Yeah. Like I I just look at it. And I just go like, and I had no and like he got knocked out like two or three weeks prior to that. I'm like, does no one give a crap about him? Like, where is his family in this equation? Or is it a situation of he has no other way to make money, and so this is what he has to do? I don't know, man. Sucks, though. It's it's sad to see this. Like, you know, you, you look, you wish, like, a guy like Antonio, because clearly he has to be, I mean, obviously he, he loves a fight game, clearly. But you got to think that it's, it's all money driven. Like, 
I, I would wonder, would a United States commission at this point even license him? Uh, they, they better not. This is what uh, Alex Davis tweeted. You cannot defend a man from his own self. I did my very best. The best plan, I mean, excuse me, the plan was for him to stop fighting eight knockouts ago. He made the money. I let go at that point, could not be a part of this, but he always goes in with a big heart and never reminisces on a loss. It's sad, bro. Yeah. It, it, it's just sad to watch. It is. It is. And it was sad to watch eight fights ago. And, and unfortunately, this won't be the last time we see this in combat sports. No. Because there's mm-hmm. always going to be a promoter out there. God, and I hate to say it, bare knuckle fighting championship. That if they think there's something left in you, they're going to try to to ounce everything they can out of you. Yeah, at least a bare knuckle, we still haven't seen it. Like we still haven't seen a whole lot of the knockouts. But yeah, you're right. I mean, any fighter who retires immediately goes to bare knuckle. You think anyone's going to retire on the Saturday? Uh, Misha, Misha Tate is the, probably the odds on favorite. Oh, that's that's got to be the spot on favorite. I think you could also make a case for Lauren Murphy, who's 38, as well as Michelle Watterson. And, uh, oh, th- those are your three candidates right there. No, no. Here's the number one candidate. Here's the number one candidate. Jessica Benet. Ooh, that's another good one, yeah. She's she going to go host a podcast for the UFC. Uh, There's also her. I mean, Justin Jacoby, I feel like he's up there, too. Oh, he's 34. Never mind. I'm totally wrong. Why do I think Dustin Jacoby's like been around forever? Because he has. Because he's been <laughs> yeah. watching for all these years. <laughs> Let's see. When, when did he first fight? UFC 137? Oh, okay. That's, yeah, uh, but he, he, he's he been around for a long time. Yeah, but he's he fought, uh, if, what, Didn't he fight King Mo back in the day in Bellator? Maybe. But well, he, had, he had the run in glory, too. You remember, he left MMA, went over to glory. And uh, I mean, his last three years, he's been unbeaten. I can see Brian Ortega retiring just to be cool somewhere. Like, that's just going to be his job. I'm going to be cool. And I've made enough money, and I'm just going to be cool. But probably not. He probably won't retire. But he also. I, I think all the females you mentioned are, are the prime candidates. Yeah. Yeah. I just I wanted to double check. I'm sure there's someone I'm missing. But, uh, you know, it just it felt like every single week we had a retirement this past weekend. We didn't. Uh, We've been we were on a streak there for a while, though. Yeah, we were on a streak. But we always know never believe <laughs> retirements in combat sports. Without a doubt, because as soon as they'll retire on a Saturday and announce they're signing the BKFC on a Monday. I mean, fleece hair. Did he make it a month, bro? No, no, sir. Every and every time I think about her and bare knuckle. I mean, I know her. she's a striker by trade. Well, I just get a sense. I don't think that's going to work out well for her. I don't know, man. I think she'll get some good. I mean, you got to think her management team is going to make sure she gets, like, opponents aren't bad. Oh, aren't oh, look, I feel like if Paige Van Sant wins her fight in August, that's going to be the fight that gets made. Well, I mean, I would probably pick Felice to beat Paige in a boxing match. I don't know, man. I don't know. I don't know. It's I mean, Felice is, what, 37, I want to say? Yeah. Felice has been in this game for a long time. Yeah, you're right. She has. Even longer than Ola. Ola. Karakhanian, probably. Maybe not. I don't know. 2006? Yeah, it's crazy. That is, that is a long time. Maybe Felice debuted yeah. after that. 
All right. Well, that is going to do it for uh, this edition of the MMA Report Podcast. Appreciate everyone taking time out of your day. Download and listen to this episode. Next episode will come out on Sunday. You'll hear the conversation I had with Dalton Rasta and Roman Feraldo. Also, I'll talk about uh, my time at CFFC. Looking forward to that. Checking some live fights out on Thursday. Of course, uh, be sure to uh, follow the MMA Report on uh, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all the places. We drop content over there. So that's going to do it for this edition of the MMA Report Podcast. There's comes two two times a week on your favorite podcasting platform and radioinfluence.com. 